each and every woman is negotiating a space for herself at work and in that negotiation she's altering perceptions of deeply held beliefs about what women can do cannot do how should they do and what they should not and therefore to my mind i am so inspired because each and every woman is making her environment question and challenge assumptions and social change is slow it's often bypasses us and once it's happened is when we step back and say wow i mean what a profound change welcome back to season 4 of habits matter and happy women's day to all of you i'm your host shreyasi singh founder and ceo of harappa education through this season i'm in conversation with five women thinkers shaping a world of work with path breaking ideas the fact that we don't have enough women leaders isn't a secret anymore the silent unyielding truth shows up in every industry in every profession in every country this is despite the fact that the benefits of having more women leaders is now almost undeniable in business for example company profits increase by 50% company culture becomes more meaningful and company diversity improves when women lead in this episode we deep dive into this dichotomy with professor vasanthi shrinivasan a celebrated faculty at im bangalore she's a brilliant mind an incredible conversationalist and her research on women in the workplace has profound implications Vasanthi and I talk about women at work from multiple vantage points historical sociological and behavioral along with some provocative truths about ambition career dropouts and women in the boardroom without a doubt this is one of my favorite episodes of habits matter across the four seasons i'm sure you'll find it as inspiring stay right till the end So you know let's just begin by sort of dipping into this incredible body of work that you've done around women professionals and you know women board of directors in India. Um and specifically you've done some truly original work around women professionals in the IT and ITES industry. Please begin by telling us what inspired you to focus on that segment of people and what are the key highlights of that research? So uh, there was something interesting happening in 2003 which is that more and more women were entering the IT sector did women choose to enter this sector was it a deliberate and conscious effort on part of the organizations to bring them in i mean when you ask some of those questions i think one would have to say a resounding no it wasn't it happened by accident that there was an a value for education of the girl child that was kind of being embraced by middle class india and a lot of these girls were going into school doing very very well academically and obviously they got in uh, seats into the engineering colleges and what was happening is as more and more women were coming into the engineering colleges and you must also remember that early 2000 was when a lot of um, young male professionals were staying in companies for one or two years and were then kind of waiting for their visas to go abroad to study 
So in some ways, the women talent was needed because companies were facing shortage of uh, trained um, computer scientists to begin with or computer engineers. And so um, what became very obvious was that when companies were going to the campus, they were actually getting more and more women in the way they kind of criteria that they had, which had to do with their educational qualifications, being on the merit list. And organizations did not quite strategically plan for this. What impact do you think that just the visible um, imagery or the visual imagery of so many young women engineers in these large fancy IT ITS offices, do you think to women professionals in India, you know, how did it impact other industries um, and anything around what the IT ITS sector did for others on this aspect? Just the fact that you had professionally qualified women in one sector, I think kind of put pressure on the other sectors to actually at least a bit of reflection and the conversations on what will it take for more women to enter our sector? I think that shift is something that that credit is not something that we can take away from the IT industry. And it's incredible how today, so many years later, it is the manufacturing industry which is leading on some of these areas in terms of bringing women professionals. Okay, So in 15 years, for us to have this conversation moving across industries to traditional industries which have not been seen as women-friendly, I think that's a really big shift, really big shift. And I think the other shift that has happened within the IT industry, and that's the nature of conversations today, is we are no longer talking about women engineers. We are talking about women in technology. We are talking about women in cutting-edge domains. We are talking about women in leadership roles. We're talking about women in project and execution contexts. You know, and I think that's great to have that arc of history as a reminder. And I think that, you know, this is one of the things that I always say that every little step matters and every person, every every woman professional in IT, IT is then has helped to build to this crescendo where the kind of conversations that you said are happening around women in technology, women in leadership and another industry, which would, we would have thought would not be at all conscious or evolved on this, like manufacturing has also taken on the baton, right? So that change seems incremental and slow at times, but it is possible. And I think it's important as much as we, um, uh, you know, are upset about what has not changed to acknowledge what has changed and seek, seek um, confidence from that. Yeah. Shreysi, I want to add something because you are, you're actually making a very profound statement there because I think underlying what you said is the fact that um, everything that every single woman do is about bringing social change. I think we ought not to minimize the impact of what is happening around us today. Yeah, each, each and every woman is negotiating a space for herself at work. And in that negotiation, she's altering perceptions of deeply held beliefs 
about what women can do, cannot do, how should they do, and what they should not. And therefore, to my mind, I am so inspired because each and every woman is making her environment question and challenge assumptions, and social change is slow. It's often bypasses us, and once it's happened is when we step back and say, wow, I mean, what a profound change. I love a phrase that you use in one of your research publications around career persistence and career centrality. Uh, you know, what do you mean by it? And why is it even more critical um, as a conversation for women professionals and about women professionals? At the lowest level, women have to just persist with their careers, which is the likelihood of not dropping out of the workforce. So when you stay, the three key ingredients of success, career success, which is what do I know, how do I do, and who do I know? All the three things are central to career success. Okay, So unless you persist and stay and not drop out, where is the question of career? So to my mind, even now, every time someone wants to talk to me, on this, I tell them, just hang on, okay? Doesn't matter if your spouse has moved, doesn't matter if you have a child, doesn't matter if you have an elder care, but just stay. Remember, I'm talking about staying in the workforce, okay? And this is the distinction I want to draw. It's about staying in the workforce. It's not about staying with the organization, but staying in the workforce. Because that stay in the workforce determines whether you exist or you become invisible. So that's one part which is central to having more women. And every time I read the gender gap report, I just wonder what more can we do to just make women stay in their careers. That's all. Yeah. And then the whole idea that if I stay, what's my identity of who I am? Now, why is this important? Because depending on the way women have been socialized, depending on their aspirations, depending on the way they examine and look at their careers, depending on their belief systems and their priorities and trade-offs, every woman has her own definition of how central is career to her life. And I don't think any of us have to be judgmental about it. But we will have women who see careers as primary to their lives, women who see careers as secondary to their lives. And there could be women who at some points in time see careers as primary and at some point in time see families as primary in terms of their own identity. Please remember, that a career primary identity, a career secondary identity, a mixed identity does not mean that they are non-performers, that they are not performing, they are not productive, they are not valuable to the organization. All that it says is, what is my identity to my career? I think, sorry, I think a lot of women find it difficult to call themselves career primary women because 
they fear the backlash of it which is that society somehow places family and care as defining identities for women so a career primary women and i am completely unapologetic about it that career is central to my existence and by virtue of the fact that it is central to me when i make trade offs there will be trade offs that i make on my career which will have consequences in my personal life do i recognize that yes am i apologetic about it no and i think this ability to examine the centrality of careers i think that's something that more and more women need to do and be unapologetic about the fact that career is meaningful important and central to them you know so profound and so strong and i think you know um i know now why some of your students absolutely love your session but in the last 40 seconds you were just so inspiring and i completely connect with it personally as well and so do your imagery of the career persistence just to say like shut up and stick in right <laughs> like stay there is really what i think um a lot of women do need to be told urged pushed pulled into all kinds of interests and i think of it as you know women's careers such as said will have anticipate that they will have breaks don't think of them as being linear and for me i think of the jungle gym rather than the ladder right like yeah. it won't be like that it'll be like the jungle gym there'll be dips you'll explore you'll go off and you'll do anything but there's there's great power in that and this really simple whatever you're saying are you career primary career secondary and at which phase of your life where are you at and acknowledging that this that there are always personal costs um to anything that one wants to do yeah. professionally for men and women and um and 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 to be able to acknowledge it and articulate it and go ahead so i think career persistence and career centrality really understand where you are on both of those is so 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 important for um women professionals fascinating uh you know you know we've we've talked about this what you've been trying to understand women women professionals the environment around their their employers their triggers motivations all of that for you know the last 18 20 years and you know there's threads of optimism as we've spoken about but what continues to be stubbornly disillusioning about women regardless of all of the positive changes that are happening that that still make you upset and angry um at different points of time I think the one thing that uh, has bothered me over the years is um, that a lot of women when they make these tough decisions often they bow down to the social expectations of who they are and what they ought to be and it doesn't seem to matter whether you're the ceo of a company or you're a a, a bored woman highly influential outside but somehow the guilt that they carry is just incredible is just incredible yeah and that i i honestly don't know how to get women to shed that guilt and to actually acknowledge that every human being has to feed their soul and it is in feeding that soul that you become a better human being and just recognizing that career is one way through which you feed your soul i think if if we could just get that little guilt off 
I think what we do could be transformatory. And career is really a way of self-expression, at you know, above and everything. And of yeah. course, there are other needs that to earn money and to you know, and 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 other obviously very very important considerations. But really, your work is your vehicle for self-expression, right? And I think that's yeah. the holding on to that. And it's not about what salary you get at what point, which is a conversation I've had with sort of friends and young, younger cousins to say, don't think about what you're earning now. if you're working the skills will come new discoveries will happen new strengths will emerge and what you're earning now is not what you will earn 5 years later if you picked up these three skills in you know by just staying in and sticking in and i think that is a really um uh, important point to get through do you think can you know talk- sorry yes. Shreya, so, can i go on a second one i think hmm. women don't aspire enough i think society has never asked us what do you want to be when you grow up we don't ask our young children girl child in particular what do you want to be when you grow up and therefore what happens is others have to recognize our potential others have to give us opportunities and i think it's just incredible how many stories i've heard of women tell me what a great boss they had who just recognized what they brought to the table and so i often wonder that why don't we aspire enough and over and over when i ask senior women leaders where do they see themselves in 2030 it's amazing you still don't see enough women raise their hand up and say i think i will be starting up my own company i think i will actually be a senior leader influencing the industry i wish i could see more of that aspiration because guilt is one which is negative but aspiration is another one and an aspiration deficit is something that is dangerous oh my god i love that and i so agree and i force myself although it seems cringe worthy at times um and especially say it if i'm speaking to any group of you know, to say one of the reasons that i am an entrepreneur is because i do want to create personal wealth for myself and not because wealth will just buy me good things which too also i would like but yeah. it buys me freedom and autonomy and um and a sense of confidence that is immensely valuable to me and we were speaking about my book just before the podcast uh, began and i think that that writing that book on the wealth fallers and aspiring to be a first generation wealth creator is really an ambition that i have pushed myself to own and articulate and i completely agree with you about this point about this aspiration deficit stopping any chances of anything happening oh i'm so glad shreyasi just to kind of listen to this because Yeah, I just get confidence from examples like yours because when you're sharing, you know, and I'm sure there are several people who are on this podcast who are going to be listening to you. I think this is the conversation that they need to hear. And thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the very, very important co- internal conversations that you know um, women must have themselves uh, with themselves around ambition and guilt and all of that, as you spoke about. Let's come to the external interferences as they were, right? And the structural problems that are leading to this. Especially here, I'd love to get insights from your work on, you know, women on. boards of companies because my my guess is that isn't really about an internal interference topic women there are many external structural issues um which landed us in this abysmal situation of the proportion we have right now okay i'm not going to be politically correct on this but let me say it anyway there is obviously 
dominant male networks. And historically, they have enjoyed certain privileges. And today we must acknowledge that whether it is the law or whether it is the obligations, um, voluntary obligations that companies take, you must remember that as more and more diverse groups, including women, begin to challenge this status quo, the privileged will lose their privileges. And it is there that beyond skill and will, there is a need for male allies to enable more uh, women to come on the boards. So now you see there are three structural dimensions that I'm talking about. One is really the existing composition, how to alter the composition. And that's really the first part of it. And which is where I was, where I was referring to having more and more women who can at least come to represent. To my mind, representation is the lowest level in terms of any form of, um, is the lowest level in any organization. The next level that we actually move into from representation is really inclusion. Do women feel that they have contributed to the board? Are there opportunities created to tap into the strengths of what they bring to the table? That's the second level. And to my mind, the third level is when you're no longer talking about a woman board member because they are then professionals. So in some ways, what where we are today is representation. I think we have a long way to go in terms of inclusion and becoming professionals. No, absolutely. And I agree with you. And, you know, this conversation of male allies, this point is, you know, very, very crucial because they have to also um, ally to lead the change and which is a, a change that is eventually positive and, um, and con conducive for everyone. What conversations have you had with male leaders to draw out their commitment to this change? Um, and, you know, what have you seen over the last 15, 20 years in the evolution of, you know, the conversations that you have with male allies? And I'd love to know your style um, when you try and influence this change with, with male leaders who are allies. You know, are you confrontational? Confrontational? Are you an activist? So, you know, you try and influence with data. How do, how do we do this? How do we influence male allies? Good question and uh, deep personal reflection because I think I've gone through the whole journey. I uh, started off um with uh, deep activism oh we need more women they should be you know i would go hammer and tongs at anyone and then i realized that um, i was behaving like a convert my belief structure just so made me myopic that i really had to step back and ask this question saying why am I doing what I'm doing? I mean, is it just about bringing women? And I must tell you that what the penny dropped for me when I was invited to be a part of a network of persons with disability. And my first conversation there when I was listening was just mind-blowing. Uh, they were talking exactly the same things 
on why is it that organizations don't treat us like humans? Why is it that there is no participation? Why is it that there is no representation? And suddenly I said that, gosh, this is not about women. This is about minority groups that don't have a presence in organizations. And then I stepped back. I stepped back. And then I began to ask, what is it that we want to happen? And that's where my influence changed dramatically. I began to say, what should I be looking for? And then I will tell you, I went through a five-year period where I got on the jury, the selection committee that was determining the awards. I was doing research projects for organizations. I was writing and I was also at that time evangelizing the idea of how diversity is important for organizations. Five years of that and what is it that I am currently at? It's one thing to put out an idea, but it's yet another thing to show action on something. And that's when I got on to launching a women leaders program to build the women leadership pipeline for corporate India. And the program that's Tanmatra every year has about 30 to 35 women leaders, largely today from multinational companies, but the day is not very far off when we will have across the board companies participating in it. But that was basically to show through action how is it possible to make that change happen? So today, if you ask me, Shreyasi, and great question, because I don't think I've been asked this in quite the way that you asked me, I've kind of come the full circle. Given the kind of complexity that exists on this issue in India, and given the fact that we are dropping on the gender, uh, corporate gender gap um, index, I feel that there is a place for activism, there is a place for education, but above all, there is a place to create pilots and allow them to get mainstreamed. So how do I influence through all these ways? I completely agree. And I've told younger people this, and of course, I completely identify as a feminist. And I've said, you know, it's also very tiring to be an activist every day and not very useful. Sometimes yeah. it is about uh, humor. Sometimes it's about data. Sometimes you do logic. Sometimes it's okay if you don't fight for what you see. It's not wrong. Be kind to yourself. You can't, nobody can fight every day and be an activist every day. And then when given a chance, make the change, right? So at Harappa yeah. in my small whatever of given a chance, lead a team of 130, 140 people. I'm constantly doing the balance sheet of, you know, how many men, women. And my aspiration certainly is for it to be 50-50 across the level because I think that just feels um, right. And, and just because I feel like I've been given the chance and I must make the change to your point about piloting action as being the highest form of really being able to um, do anything. And so that I am not, I don't have any aspiration deficit. I hope that at some point I'll be a cohort participant in your fantastic women's leadership program. Thank you. Thank you, Shresi. <laughs> I think the kind of work, you know, I just wait, I'm sure in the country there are several women like you 
making this difference at their own level. And that to me is inspiring. I mean, I think one of the things, uh, I don't remember maybe the last time that we spoke, what keeps me going 20 years? Yeah, when people ask me this, uh, it's people like you. Right? Because when I see some of this happen, you know, I never thought this would happen in my lifetime. And like I said, it's social change. So when I see each one of you chipping away little by little, it's just so inspiring. And I think that's what makes me want to do more, you know, and that's Thanks. And I think one needs that validation uh, from others. You know, see the kind thank of you work so much. that you're doing. Thank you so much. Great. Just keep going. <laughs> thank you. One last question to end um, our conversation with. Tell me about the three women who inspire you and what is it about them that has been so inspirational? Okay, who I am today and what I do is inspired by one person and maybe this is the time for me to call out because I don't think I have ever done this explicitly. This, she is Prabha and she used to be my neighbor. And this is uh, personally, I mean, I rarely share this story, but I just thought it's important because um, I got into the MBA program and um, I didn't have the means to be able to pay for the first fees. And believe you me, in 1985, Prabha just walked up and said, wow, you've got admitted to XLR, right? I said, yes, but I don't have the money to pay the fees and so it doesn't matter and um, so to which she turned around and said how stupid is that I'm going to fund you because I know that you will make a difference and believe you me she not only just gave me the check but she told me that you will pay it from your salary to my mind that changed my destiny of who I am and what I became or what I will become so to my mind, that's the kind of support that women require. The second woman, again, who has inspired me is my first boss. What an incredible woman. And that was Lata Jagannathan. And Lata was my boss when I worked uh, with the uh, what is now the Bangalore Medical Services Trust, but at that time, it was a voluntary blood donation, blood bank. Um, just her purpose, her vision of doing great things which nobody thought was possible. Just her humility combined with intense will to make a difference. And she was the epitome of femininity, such beautiful saris, such grace when she spoke. To my mind, that day, it became clear that you could have very strong, what we call as masculine characteristics of ambition, drive, aspiration, and you could manage it with great femininity, which I think is the hallmark of being a great woman leader. So to my mind, she's another person who inspires. And the last one, Shreyasi, you are going to be surprised, is the hundreds of women like you who actually show me what is possible. So in this list, I don't have those grand women leaders. Yes, I meet a lot of them in my life. But it is people like you and 
thousands of you who do the little things in your own ways that makes the difference. I hope that was okay because I don't have these grand names to throw at no, you. Of co- no, my gosh. I mean, I think Prabha and Lata and I was just like, you know, I think they both deserve books. <laughs> so, and, and they sounded fascinating. And what a beautiful story of Prabha and what she did um, for a young woman in, in whom she saw promise and potential. And such a important reminder for people like you and me and others who should also be looking out and trying to spot that talent and do what we should be doing so that another Vasanti gets the education she deserves and then has these path-breaking ideas. Um, Beautiful, beautiful. And thank you so much for being very kind. You know, I always say that being a podcast host has been a great privilege for me because I love podcasts. And this season amped up the excitement just because we had such five amazing women thinkers and we were to launch this episode on March 8th so I really feel like abundantly lucky and privileged and what a fascinating conversation and so inspiring you've really motivated me and you're so articulate um, thank you so very much for joining us on Happy's Matter it really is has been one of my favorite episodes Thank you Shreyasi and a very very happy Women's Day I think I just love the joy of celebration um, a day uh, to actually reflect and a day also to be mindful of uh, how privileged we are, you and I, and uh, how much more responsible we need to be as uh, privileged and maybe just paid forward to the next generation out there. Thank you so much for um, inviting me uh, for this podcast and uh, it's been an incredible experience. Habits Matter is a show brought to you by Harappa Education. This episode was scripted, produced and managed by Nitin Shamsuddin and Soumya Bahugana under the editorial direction of Seema Chaudhary. Shout out to Madhvan, a super talented audio engineer and a brilliant design team for the snazzy creatives. Follow Habits Matter on Instagram at habits.matter and Harappa Education on your favorite social media channels.